Hey guys, welcome to China Trends. Let's stay on top of trends shaping our future. My name is Yu Yu, and I'm your host. Today, we are glad to invite two guests to share their insights on Chinese economy and some inspirations from multinational companies that want to succeed in the Chinese market.、Uh, so, thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure.、Uh, my name is Bertrand Vanier. I'm a partner from、uh, EY. I come from France. I've been in China and Shanghai, especially since、uh, 2008. So it's been、uh, it's been a long run,、um, and yeah, thank you. Hi, I'm Joseph Gregory Mahoney. I'm a professor of politics at East China Normal University here in Shanghai. So、uh, the first question is that: What's in your view? What's the、uh, current situation about the Chinese economy? Yes. So I mean, first,、uh, I will mostly discuss today about the foreign investment in China, which is mostly the clients I, I help and I represent.、Uh, slightly, if you want, also the Chinese investment abroad. I would say、uh, overall in the business community, we are all very happy to have put 2022 behind and to start fresh with the new announcement that have been made, which, to our view, you know, will ha- will help. Moving forward after three years that have been quite complicated from a trade and economical point of view here, I just have mentioned the world is kind of complicated, and also people are concerning the uh, uh, slower growth. I know it's、uh, kind of like hard to predict, but I like to、uh, ask that: What's your prospect for Chinese economy for this year? So, I mean, again,、uh, um, coming back from、uh, 2022, which has been what you know what, what it has been, I would say. Uh, it's very difficult to predict something that could be as complicated, right? So we are all hoping that the reopening of, of of China, the reopening of the trade between countries, will really help,、uh, because it's very clear that、uh, the foreign investment in China is quite important for、uh, not only for China but for the foreign companies, and that foreign companies are willing to help China to grow. Into a qualitative way, and also to help in the in the development with the priorities that the government has put together. I think it's clear that the government wants to pursue some consumption-led growth.、Uh, I think that、uh, we could expect、uh, some pent-up demand to really help drive things, uh, uh, but at the same time, we should expect、um, the the concern of、um, the first quarter、uh, feeling the effects of, of trying to get to stabilization. Um, and then, secondly,、uh, whether or not、uh, China is is going to encounter, like the rest of the world may,、uh, a global recession,、uh, and whether or not that's going to put some downward pressure. But、um, I think that、uh, what we'll see are some very intelligent policies、uh, from the central government. I think、uh, what we're already seeing is、uh, the indication that they're going to promote、uh, higher level growth and some key driver. Uh, um, um, uh, cities that that、uh, help really lift up、uh, the overall national growth. So I I think that、uh, I'm optimistic、um, that the the back half of 2023 will be good.、Uh, I think 2024 will be good. But but more importantly, I think that as、uh, we may see a, a, a world economy struggling, that China may、uh, as it did in the, following the first contraction、uh, due to the pandemic. That China may lead the global economy forward, given its its capacity to do so institutionally. So I'm optimistic.、Uh, when we talk about the、uh, Chinese economy, there's a key word that supply chain. 
So I wonder that according to the EY and also from the aspects of your clients, have you uh, observed the uh, different multinational um, companies, their allocation in, in China and also in the world? Is there any changes? From a supply chain point of view, I think our, our, uh, our vision is quite clear. Basically, when, when we uh, discuss with our clients, they have a global vision basically on supply chain, right? And they need to think also long term. And it takes a lot of time to rebuild and to make some decisions that will impact uh, uh, their global supply chain. It is very clear that I will separate, you know, the pandemic into two steps. Uh, the first step or the first stage was what happened in the year 2020 and in the year 2021, when basically the, the engine, the supply chain engine wa was in China. And 2022, again, with what has happened, the, the situation has been more complex. So again, we believe that with the recent announcement, um, the supply chain, the global supply chain will not be as impacted as it could have been the case at some point. I'm talking about China. Also due to the fact that there are some very, very strong ecosystem in terms of supply chain that are very difficult to transfer out, right? When, when you think about the chemical industry, when you think about the automotive industry, these ecosystems are so much embedded into the China uh, industry that you know the the the, the strong the, the strengths of it uh, is really here. Okay. Uh, next question is for Professor. I saw the latest data that shows the Chinese uh, China's annual foreign trade volume just hit a high record um, in the 2022, and it is actually given the basis of complex you know the China Chinese economy both on the international situation. So, do you still believe that China still remains as the um, a world manufacturing center. Do you think that China's uh, supply chain, China still uh, remains that resilient? You know, to, to build on what Bertrand was saying, we know that um, there were two, let's say two major headwinds for uh, the Chinese manufacturing sector and, and global supply chains. The first obviously was, was COVID. And, and uh, as he was saying, there was that initial period when the world really depended on China to produce the things that it couldn't produce. But there was another issue that, that goes back to the United States and this desire to um, try to affect some type of decoupling, uh, although as you noted, we've seen uh, trade volume actually increasing. Um, but but the, the idea there was, was initially that the United States might want to try to reshore some of its manufacturing, right? This was certainly a vision of Trump, um, less so with, with Biden. Biden is focused more on, on high tech. Um, but I think everyone uh, felt vulnerable in that early uh, phase of the pandemic where um, they were relying on China to produce the things that they needed uh, to survive. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of the, if we, if we, if we look at the, at the data, China is the largest trading partner of most countries in the world. That's not going to change significantly. But it, it is the case that, that many countries will want to diversify, that they'll want to make sure that they don't have all their eggs in one basket, uh, because sometimes policies in Beijing may, may shift. But, you know, one of the things that we've seen is as some countries or some uh, buyers have started to diversify, for example, if they're looking to buy their products now out of um, uh, Vietnam 
or India or other places, these supply chains are deeply connected to China as well. And in fact, a lot of times these are Chinese factories or Chinese machineries or Chinese uh, uh, investment, but they're also connected. So uh, I, even if we diversify, I think what we're looking at is, is uh, a much more complicated uh, global supply chain. I don't see uh, the reshoring of manufacturing broad scale happening in the United States despite uh, this, this sort of dream. Um, so, uh, you know, China is going to remain, as he said, given it's, it's got the most advanced industrial system in the world, it's going to remain in the premier position, but it will need to do more uh, to uh, return to stability and to um, uh, make sure that uh, uh, buyers and, 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 and other countries are, feel secure uh, and will be able to forecast and uh, limit volatility going forward. For most of the companies, it's a um, mistake to like you know the short term to look at Chinese economy, but we should use the long term or might 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 media uh, or the uh, medium term uh, mindset to look at the Chinese economy. So, what's your view? When I arrived in China, I think uh, some of uh, the people I met, you know, they gave me some advice, and I think these advice they are still the same 14 years after, which is when you are here, you basically think long term. You cannot basically with the specificities of the local market things short term. I, I do believe that this foundation, this foundation is still, it's still the, the case. However, I would say, and, and this is what the, the foreign investors are, are willing to maybe to see, uh, predictability also has been a key pillar of their uh, development and has helped you know, their development because they knew actually what was happening. Because I think the leaders in China, they do what they say and they say what they do, which is very appreciated, right, by foreign investors. This maybe, you know, could be, we hope, you know, that could be uh, maybe enhanced after the, the reopening and after the measures. Because again, we are here at uh, advocate, you know, of uh, the success of our respective countries. So, Professor, what's your long-term view uh, for Chinese market? Well, you know, I think when we talk about long-term views from the perspective of politics, we start thinking about things like the 2035 development goal, uh, the second 100, um, uh, where, you know, clearly uh, China, I think more than any other country in the world, does have this long-term vision and is certainly building towards it. And as we saw with the achievement of the first 100 and the establishment of the Shalkong Society, uh, whatever the headwinds are, China tends to uh, find solutions to those crises and move forward. At the same time, we do know that there are these headwinds with the relationship with the United States. We know that uh, we still have unresolved or unaddressed concerns related to climate change and, and um, uh, uh, extreme weather. And we know that this uh, impacted the Chinese economy last year with uh, the drought and, and the shortages in energy, uh, as well as uh, um, the need to consume more energy because of the, of the heat wave. So uh, we, we are living in an era of, of black swans um, and uh, you know, a lot of the volatility in the world uh, is not directly related uh, to China. It's, it's uh, incidental to China. Um, so you know, we can talk about whether or not the Chinese economy is going to have some volatility this year. It probably will, but uh, there will be volatility still associated with the conflict in Ukraine, uh, with the slowdown in Europe, uh, with uh, the continued bellicose attitude uh, from the United States. But uh, long term, I, I believe China is the place to be. That's why I've made my home here. That's why I raised my kids here. Um, but uh, the next few years will be difficult.
Yeah, your answer uh, just reminds me of the uh, theme of this Davos. This time it's called Cooperation in a Fragmented World. Uh, and next, that as the China's economy uh, uplifting, uh, reshaping and changing, uh, the market is becoming mature. So some of the uh, successful story of the multinational companies which have achieved success here may not change to another story. So what's your view? Uh, it is clear that you know uh, what we see with foreign investment in China is that uh, it's China for China, and basically most of the most uh, the most successful uh, you know players operating in China are successful because they understood basically the need of the Chinese uh, consumer, the need of the Chinese customer. Uh, that is critical. You can no longer operate here, you know, to to be uh, exporting most of what you do. I think the the, the key point is to serve. To serve, to serve the Chinese consumption uh, in a way uh, that I think one of the purpose of the government is to develop and to enhance local consumption, which is going to be a key growth of the GDP, uh, which is also why you know uh, uh, this market is so important, into a qualitative growth, I would say. Uh, what I've seen developing over the, over the last years, and we can take retail or we can take luxury as an example, is the way that basically most of the products now they are offered in the local market with exactly what the Chinese customers or consumers they, they, they need or they want. And I think the brands have understood, right? And this qualitative growth uh, with the help of the foreign investor, I think, is also something that I was mentioning in the, in, in the, in the last minutes. The, the qualitative growth and the long-term vision, I think they are coming together into best serving the interests of the Chinese uh, consumer in the local market. Uh, so, Professor, do you think that if the company wants to achieve success in China, they should use different mindsets or different approaches? You know, one of the things I'm a little bit concerned about is the intersection of, of two issues. The first is, obviously, COVID um, uh, created uh, some contention, uh, but it, as, uh, as we all know, it, it prevented people from coming here. Um, and, and it, it created uh, some misunderstanding around the world. But at the same time, one of the other sort of major development that I think has been happening in China that a lot of people are not fully aware of, and I don't know how you see this, is uh, the tremendous steps forward that um, uh, successful businesses in China have, have, have taken in terms of their multi-platform approaches to marketing. Um, I don't think we see that same sort of sophistication uh, in European markets, uh, almost something comparable in the United States, but I think even, even in China it's more advanced now. So I'm a little concerned that uh, foreign, countries, or foreign companies, if they uh, try to come back and they try to build or they try to invest, uh, that they really need to study um, uh, this sort of new model of marketing and, and doing business um, that has been continuing to actually accelerate because of the pandemic, um, whereas it's, it, it wasn't even really driving to the same extent elsewhere. So I think if, if they can get uh, good consultants, uh, if they can get uh, good advice, if they can get good models, uh, they might be able to ramp up, but uh, there's a, they're, they're a little bit behind, I think. In uh, another point, you've just mentioned the geopolitical conflicts. If we take the uh, U.S. Uh, Chip Act, for example, which might causing the uh, supply chain disruption in the world, um, so some some people say that might the diversification of the uh, supply chain might be the solution or the right choice. Uh, what's your opinion? 
Well, I have a very specific opinion about the CHIPS Act. I, I do think um, that it is a, a type of economic warfare. I do think it's trying to choke uh, the Chinese economy and above all the Chinese high-tech development. Um, and I think that uh, uh, China has a very strong case uh, to, to advance this issue with uh, the World Trade Organization. I'm not sure that the WTO will be able to uh, really uh, provide any relief uh, for China on this issue. But I'm very confident in, in two aspects uh, of China to deal with this type of problem. Uh, first, um, the Chinese political system is, is a system that is designed uh, to deal with crises. And it loves crises like this. I mean, it doesn't love having them, but, but it's the type of system that gravitates to solving problems like this. So uh, I would expect uh, uh, the Chinese government to find solutions through diplomacy, uh, by working with other countries. Um, and we know that a lot of countries around the world are not really excited about the American efforts here. Um, additionally, uh, we have already seen reports that there are some new patent filings associated with Huawei. Uh, I do think that uh, we'll see some technological breakthroughs that will uh, make this problem disappear uh, probably a lot sooner than the United States imagines. But another issue, and this is a key focus of my research, is that the United States really has a misunderstanding of technology. They think that they can just remove a chip or something like this, and this is going to create some sort of uh, crisis for China. But in fact, what China is, is a technological society. It's not just a society with technology, but it's the way the society functions together, how the government, how the people, how the industries, how all these things come together to solve problems like the outbreak, but also to solve problems that we see uh, in, in terms of uh, China now taking a leading position in um, uh, green development, uh, green energy, uh, these types of So when you look at uh, this capacity to, to, to solve problems technologically and for people to work together in a technological way, I'm very confident that, uh, that these kind of problems will, will be uh, just minor slowdowns for, for China and its overall march forward. If we given the situation that we have met, and as a China optimized epidemic response, and do you think that it's possibility to China have a faster and a stronger economic recovery growth, and for the global investors that should they keep invest in China? This is key and this is clear. That's going to be the the main change to uh, our view, and this is what we hope in the year 2023 and forward. Why? Because as you said, when you're given the, the, the theme of the World Economic Forum, it's about exchanging, it's about meeting again, it's about discussing face to face again. And this is how basically you build up confidence. This is how you know uh, a country uh, that you know you have not been uh, during three years. Professor explained that you know lots of things have changed. It is very clear that during these three years, with China being, we could say, uh, uh, on, on its own, uh, no travel out has happened, no travel in has happened, have happened, sorry. And you know, this has created a lot of questions into headquarters. I think most of our Fortune 500 clients, they are really, really looking forward to come to China, to revisit their team, to better understand all the changes that have happened within the last three years, to meet the government and to continue basically to reinvest. Because this is what I said in the past, the market is, is very important. And we are talking about cooperation, and we can also talk about, you know, uh, Chinese investment abroad, which has, of course, you know, suffered from these last three years, which is going to be the same. I think China will need to 
continue and, and accelerate also on its foreign investment, not only on uh, ITAI, uh, ILU, but also on other topics to be able to come back into the game in a way that you know they will be seen, they will be able to discuss and to rebuild you know this kind of predictability I was talking about, brand image, if I may say it like that, and to still you know push into this long-term vision that we help the corporation. Thank you for joining China Trends. Hope you're enjoying today's podcast and any comments from you are welcome. See you next time and we'll bring you more fun conversations on what is happening in China.